Good morning, everyone. Happy are those. Isn't it interesting that the first thing Jesus talks about in his first great public speech is the word happiness or the word blessed, which is even better. Uh, my name is Lon Allison, and I have the joy of standing before you today and celebrating what God's doing. I, I know a lot of you are here probably saying, this is great, the weather's so wonderful, what a day. Some of you, however, probably are saying, this is not even fair. How could the weather be so nice and my life be so full of pain? We just want you to know, wherever you come from today, we trust that our music, that our prayers, and that our word and God's table will uh, bring renewal and hope to you wherever you're at. Okay? All right. Have you ever had a moment or an event in your life and when it was happening, it, it seemed totally insignificant, run-of-the-mill. But later, months later, sometimes years later, that event becomes life-defining. You ever had anything like that? It's just normal course of things going on, you experience something, and months later you go, man, that was really important, or, or years, well, I'm remembering, one, I'm remembering a life-defining moment that was 30 years ago. Uh, I was... Uh, pastoring a brand new church we just planted in California and my staff and I there was five of us total we were heading up into the mountains for a retreat and here's what I remember we stopped at a gas station near Modesto probably Modesto area just before we go up into the foothills and I remember that I was driving and I even opened the car door to, to get out and start to do the gas but we had been talking just before we got there. Somebody had posited this question. They said, hey, what do you think heaven will be like? So that's what was going on, driving, getting gas. What do you think heaven's going to be like? And everybody was boom, 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 uh, punching it in. And I remember, because I can see it, I can see the place I was. It's probably Shell, might have been Chevron, don't know. Uh, but I remember my response to the question of what heaven needs to be like. And I said something like this. I said, it could be a desert as far as I'm concerned. But if I am stripped of all the badness in me, that would be heaven. I don't care what the geography is. If I could just be stripped of this propensity toward wrong actions, toward wrong thinking and desires, uh, that would be heaven. Well, you can tell it impacted me. I still think of it 30 years later. And in fact, it's what Jesus addresses straight on today in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, please open them to the fifth chapter of Matthew. If you're visiting our church, you probably uh, uh, might not be familiar with the Bible, but please, we, we, we use it every week. We provide them for you on the seat backs, too, so feel free to grab one. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, so you'll find it about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. All right, yeah, so let's read those Beatitudes again, but just before I do, can I set the scene again? Uh, Pastor Rob and I have been saying this each week. But again, you've got to get what this message is, what this speech is. This is, this is if you will, this is Jesus' inauguration message. 
This is when he's come back from the wilderness. This is when he's fully empowered by God, and he's announcing what this whole thing's going to be about. This is, this is, the, this is Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, okay? This is, this is Mother Teresa. This is Mother Teresa in Washington, D.C., with the President of the United States sitting next to her and saying to Congress, if you don't want the children, give them to me. Uh, th this is Martin Luther King standing before the memorial in Washington, D.C. and crying out, I have a dream today, okay? That's this speech. And in it, Jesus is going to declare his intentions. He's already been elected. When did they have the vote? They didn't. He's God. He's elected, all right? And, and so what he does is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes, the happy lines, are the beginning of it. And this is where Jesus literally starts by saying, I'm creating a totally new kind of person. And through that, I am creating a new kind of world. The first four Beatitudes talk about the development of the new person. The last four, and we'll start on these next week, are the outgrowth of that into the world. New person, new world, hang on for the ride. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is at hand. So with that as our background, let's read the Beatitudes once again. Chapter 5, starting verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or happy are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed or happy are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. Blessed or happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's how he begins. Now let's summarize the first three again. Pastor Rob's given us wonderful definitions of this. The first one, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to come to have understood the problems in your life are beyond you. Life is beyond you. Anybody here, poor in spirit, life beyond you? <laughs> Some of you are going, oh yeah, okay. So that's one. Two, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning, grieving, as we start to understand that the deepest problems I have are in me. My deepest problems are me, even more than the world. That's to mourn for that. And then the third one, to be meek about it. Another nice word there is humble. What is humility? Humility is understanding that your biggest problem is you, but watch this, so you make the decision, I better let God take charge of everything. Humility is really realizing when I run the show, the show ain't very good, and I need God. I need God, all right? Now, all of that leads into number four, and that's what I've got the privilege to open up today. And it's interestingly different. 
Now remember, each of the Beatitudes starts with that word blessed, remember, 522 times in the Bible, and it's talking about kind of a happiness on steroids. What it means is kind of a, a, a contentment and security in knowing that God loves me, he's in charge, he's good, and no matter what I face, I'm okay. It's like uh, one of our families right in the front, you guys just had your baby one month ago, right? And I got to, is it a little boy or a little girl? Boy. Little boy, what's his name? Nikita. Nikita. Oh, that's great. <laughs> little Nikita was born a month ago. And my hunch is when mommy holds Nikita in her arms and Nikita has just been fed, that Nikita lays there in perfect trust and wholeness, knowing that everything is just fine, thank you. That's the state of blessedness, yeah. Okay, so blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those that are meek. And now, watch this one, watch this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's verse six, I think we have it probably up for the screen there for you, yes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now here's the first big difference here. Jesus is using some uh, explosive descriptors. Notice the first one. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed uh, are those who are meek. It's blessed are, and then it says what it is. But this one adds some explosive descriptors. It says, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger, who thirst. It's talking about not normal state of affairs or desires. It's talking about peaking in craving. It's talking about hunger. It's talking about thirst. It's, it's like massive ambition. Now, for us, uh, probably few of us here have ever been really, really hungry. Uh, or really, really thirsty. I, I mean, we touch it, but it's kind of hard. I mean, we live in the world of rolling restaurants, don't we? Uh, if you go up just beyond Marie's and my house, up near the corner of 59 and North Avenue, you've pretty much got your pick. You've got um, Steak and Shake, right here. And then if you just walk a few doors this way, you've got Augustino's. It's great, they've got some Beatles paraphernalia in there. It's really good, okay? And, and then if you walk a few doors from there, Hardee's is new. And then if you walk a few doors from there, you go, Jimmy John's? <laughs> Did you get that? Jimmy John's? Okay, Jimmy John's. And then if you walk a few doors from there, Starbucks, which now serves food as well as, as drinks. If you go around the corner, you've got Brown's Chicken. If that doesn't satisfy you, you wait till the light turns green and you go across and you've got Dunkin' Donuts and you've got McDonald's. Hard to be hungry here. But we touch it at times. I mean, you know, I can hardly wait. Now, um, 
glad to tell this story. A week ago, I was in Southeast Asia, and I was in China, and I was teaching in Cambodia. And uh, uh, Cambodia is a developing country, um, and uh, the, 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 the thing I don't like about global travel is food. I'm just not a food guy. I mean, I love the people, I love their languages, I love all the other elements of culture, but for me, unique foods are not a gift from God. <laughs> They're just not. I mean, the, the, the night before I got there, I, I get there and they go, oh, Lon, too bad you weren't here last night. I go, why? Well, because last night we went out to this great restaurant. What was it? It was called Bugs. <laughs> because that's what you eat there. You've not lived until you've had a tarantula. I know, I know. The only way I've learned to handle it is a friend from Sri Lanka, he's a, he's a great theologian, so I trust him. He says, Lon, I don't like the food in other countries either. I always ask for ketchup, because you can pretty much drown anything in ketchup. <laughs> so I'm there three days, three nights, and then it's, it's lots and lots and lots and lots of seafood. I'm not a seafood guy. I wish I was. I know I should be. You all tell me that. I'm just not. So finally, it's, it's all seafood at the final meal. Then they rush me to the, the little airport there in Siem Reap where I'm going to fly to Shanghai. And it's a little airport. It's got three gates. And I'm the only Caucasian there. And it's 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm hungry. And, and I couldn't even wish for what was about to happen. I come through customs. My bags are checked. I start walking down. There it is. It's a mirage. It's a Dairy Queen in the airport. Oh, God. I, I thought, well, it, it's probably a fake Dairy Queen. I said, is this a real Dairy Queen? He says, look here. He hands me, I got it in Cambodian, in English, a blizzard. They have blizzards, real blizzards. Oh, I said, give me a big one. <laughs> and, and nuts and strawberries and bananas. And suddenly, God was real again. <laughs> that's, that's about as close to hunger as I get. All right. Same with drink. I mean, we just turn on the tap or unscrew the lid. It's almost always there. Now, maybe if you're like out working in CareFest all day, like so many of us did, that you think, gosh, I wish I'd have brought more water, and, and you begin to sense thirst. But take it deeper. Take it deeper. These are the core things for existence as human beings. Without food that digests, our body doesn't produce glucose. And without glucose, our energy flags within 48 hours. If you don't get food into you, then the body turns on itself and starts eating its resources of fat and breaking down of proteins. You have got to have food. And water. Every cell in the body, every cell is dependent upon lubrication that comes through water. You're 60% water. 
Without it, you won't last more than three days. So when Jesus talks about hunger and thirst, he's not talking Cambodian Dairy Queen. He's talking existing at all, right? Okay, so that's how he sets the stage for this thing. Now, take it from there. Uh, move it on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Yeah, righteousness. Righteousness. It's one of those big Bible words that's kind of hard to understand or one of those big Bible words that we've heard so many times it no longer has any sizzle to it. Okay? So let me suggest that you take the word righteousness and you take out the E-O-U-S and put a hyphen in there and think of righteousness like this. Rightness. Rightness. A synonym for it is goodness. A synonym for it, holiness. This is God's will for you, St. Paul says. Your holiness, rightness, goodness, holiness. The word righteousness is used over 500 times in the Bible. Almost 150 times just in the New Testament alone. So whatever it is, it's a big deal to God. And Jesus says something about our wholeness, our happiness, our completeness has to do with what? Craving it. Hunger and thirst. Craving it. The little definition I have for the pursuit of rightness is this. My deep desire that God would make all that is wrong in me right. All that is wrong in me right. That's what was happening to me in Modesto 30 years ago at that gasoline station. God was beginning to give me a taste and a thirst for rightness, for holiness. Oh, now let me stop right there. And this is a question, an application question for those of you who know God, who love Jesus Christ, and you would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Questions for you. Do you crave rightness? Do you crave holiness? Goodness. I mean, not just sort of think about it occasionally, sort of feel bad when you fail. I mean, does it consume you? Because hunger and thirst consumes. And Jesus is saying, when we get to the part where we crave goodness, then we begin to experience a blessedness. If you don't, if I don't, something's in the way. It may be that we've made idols of other things beside God. And we crave them. Or, or it may even be that we feel so messed up inside that, that 
righteousness is so far beyond us. We think of it as like Disney World. It's just, you know, touch it occasionally on a visit, but you can't live there. You give up on it. To those of you who love and know our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, don't you give up on it. In fact, if you give me my way inside you, you will crave it. You will crave it. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, you're investigating Christianity. I just want to say to you, did you know that God's desire for you is to be better than you have ever imagined? And that it's possible through knowing him. Well, hunger and thirst for rightness. Why is it so important to us? Well, number one, you know and I know that when I am sinning, when I'm letting the badness in me dominate, that I feel alienated from God. There's a verse in the Bible, Isaiah 59 and 2, and it says this. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. And then it says, so he won't hear. When you really love somebody the way that we're coming to love God, and something gets in the way of that love relationships, it's really hard. It hurts. It hurts to feel not close to my Lord. It hurts to not be in communion from him. I, this weekend, I, I touched on this just a little bit because um, I really love my wife, and she really loves me. And we're as happy as we can be. No. Uh, but we got into a bit of a tussle. It was, you know, what kind of curtains we're going to put up or blinds or something on one of the windows. I, it's a, it was a small thing. It was a, you know, a home improvement thing. And she was thinking this, and I was thinking this, and there was money issues. And, and it just kind of alienation. And here's what I do. It's so holy. When Marie and I are in a tussle, <laughs> I just withdraw. Okay. It's all her fault, and I'm the victim. <laughs> I'm going to go watch ESPN. Okay? So that's what I do. And yet inside my core, I, nothing, nothing's quite right when your relationship with someone you love isn't right. Right? Well, imagine it with God. I want to pursue righteousness because I love to be close to my Lord. And you say, well, does God not like me when I sin? No, 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 no. That has nothing to do with it. It's that you don't like you when you do. And there's that shame thing. There's that guilt thing that happens. So the first reason to want to get after this righteousness deal is because I just love to be in communion with my Lord. The second is this. I get tired of sin having power over me. Don't you? The Apostle Paul had this too. Look at this text. See if this doesn't resonate with your life. Balcony, you with me up there? Okay, guys. Yep. This one's for you because you're worse sinners than these guys probably. That's... <laughs> no. 
I put this up here because it was Paul's autobiographical note. It's mine, and I bet it's yours too. All right. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Any hands of understanding there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, wow. I end up doing the things I don't want to do that I tell myself are wrong, that I tell other people are wrong. Oh, to be released from the power of sin that is over me. It's, it's the little kid who writes his letter to Santa, and he says, Santa, I've tried to be good. Something always happens, and that's us. Yeah. Would it be possible to be released from being enslaved to a sin nature? Third, I just want to be free from double-mindedness. I, I, I just want, I, I long to not even to desire what is wrong. Can you imagine? I, most of the time I'm battling what is wrong and, and the good in me and the spirit that is in me is saying you don't want to go there and the bad in me says, yes, you do. But is it possible to start to have even the desire for what is wrong eradicated? I believe it is. And when Jesus says hunger and thirst for rightness in your life, he has something in mind. Okay? Now, so how does this take place? How does this hunger and thirst start? And what does it end with? Here's the great news. I can't wait to tell some of you this again. I can't wait to tell some of you this for the first time. Here's the mystery and the magic of it. God decided to give you his righteousness. There's a great word that you want to write down. Imputation. Imputation. To, to impute something on somebody is to credit a person with something, to press it into them. Here, take this. This afternoon, uh, Maria will impute her wonderful delicacies of food into our lives as a family. God imputes his perfection to us. Look at Romans 3:22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You can't get a little bit better every day. He just imputes it. He says, here, take mine. Uh, how, how many of you will graduate or be at a graduation in the next few weeks or month here? Okay, so, so think about you or you're going to watch somebody walk across the stage. They're going to have this like gown deal on, strange hat. Worst part of it uh, is the hat. And, and, and then who's ever in charge of the educational institution will shake their hand and give you a little cardboard bound book which has your diploma right there. 
dun, 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 you know, pomp and circumstance place. And from that point on, you are a graduate. You have received this. It's imputed to you. Now, if you're in your 20s, you're saying, yeah, but what do I do now? Okay, all right, I get that. I get that. I, li I live with that, all right? But it's imputed to you. From that point on, you are a high school graduate or a college graduate or a master or a doctor or whatever it is. It's been imputed upon you. How does God impute his righteousness on us? Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's something that God does that results in us being declared righteous. And what it is is that God does a grace-filled transaction that you can't believe. We're full of wrong and badness, and there isn't anything I do that's perfectly good. And God says that he will take that from us on himself, and then he will place in us his perfection. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ does. That's what the amazing grace is all about. You say, well, I know, I know that when Jesus died, I was forgiven for all my sins. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's more than that. When you're forgiven for your sins, God takes your sins on himself and then places in you his declaration of righteousness. It's almost, I don't even know how to get my arms around it. But I imagine this. Warren Buffett calls me on the phone. Lon, I hear you're doing a great job at Wheaton Bible Church. And I said, yes, Warren, it's not easy working with Rob Boo. <laughs> and then there's Jeff and Jill, you know, all of us, you know. Yeah. He says, I hear you're doing a good job. Well, really, I'm not. I just, I mess up stuff all the time. He says, I don't care. Just listen to me. I have decided that I am going to switch bank accounts with you. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it, Scott? He did that. Switch bank accounts with you. And will you give me access? And I say, are you sure this is Warren Buffett? <laughs> it is. So we get electronically, and literally, my meagerness transfers to him, and his excessive wealth transfers to me. Your sin transfers to Jesus, and Jesus transfers to you the declaration of righteousness. Wow. The extravagant grace of God. So, so literally, you're declared king. You're declared righteous queen. From this point on, that's how God sees you. That's what God has declared. That's imputed righteousness. Now, the second thing that happens 
is he imparts regular improvement into our souls. See, when you come to Jesus Christ, it's no longer God out there and you here. It's God who is out there, takes up residency within you, and the perfection of God starts to slowly transform your behavior and mine. That's why the Beatles sang, Got to believe I'm getting better. A little better. You know, I do that one all the time. You've heard me. You can't get no. Yeah, okay. So, no worse. Uh, God starts placing right intentions in me. God starts placing right behavior in me. God takes authority over the power of evil to have control. That's what sanctification, this progressive development into the likeness of Christ, he imparts it to us. It's sanctifying it's, it's, it's being crowned king or queen and now starting to act like it. And so Jesus says, hunger and thirst to have my righteousness in you. Hunger and thirst to get better all the time because that's what I'm about. Cool, huh? There's a second part of the righteousness. It's not only that I want God's rightness to make everything wrong in me right, but you start wanting to make everything wrong in the world right. I've got that up there too. The rightness, the righteousness of Christ starts flowing through you and us so that we want to make all that is wrong in the world right. That's why we cannot bear ISIS. We cannot bear child abuse. We cannot bear injustices. It is the life of the righteous God in us for the world. We've got to change things. That's why we have local impact in DuPage County. That's why we're involved globally as a church. But it wouldn't mean anything unless you were involved in it too. You have to. You say, oh, don't guilt me. I'm not guilting you. I'm telling you the way you are now. Because we start making a difference. We have to be in Nepal. We've been working all week in global just trying to figure out who we co cooperate with. And your church has set aside $10,000 that you have given that's immediately being rushed to where we think it's going to do the most good in Nepal. We have to. Because we're about bringing rightness to everything that is wrong. Oh, hunger and crave rightness in you and in the world. Jesus says that is a state of blessedness like you can't imagine. In fact, he says it will fill you up. Someday the power of sin will be totally gone. Someday, someday, you won't even have a desire for it. Someday, if you know Jesus Christ, you won't even remember sin because you will be made totally new in eternity. But until that time, we hunger and we thirst. We hunger and we thirst. Who ever thought you could be blessed to hunger and thirst? I am.
and so are you. And I end by saying, isn't it great that we get to gather at God's table today? Where he calls upon us to quench our hunger and our thirst for him. Let's prepare our hearts now. Jesus had eaten many meals with his disciples. But it's only on that one, the night when he was betrayed, that he did something else with the bread. And he said, when you take and eat, it's as if this was my body, which is for you, to satisfy your hunger for me. And when you drink this cup, it's as if you were drinking my own blood, my own life source, so that you could be in total communion with me. As we get ready to partake of the bread and the cup today, remember hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness. This is for all of you who love God and have entered into a communion life relationship with him. For those of you that are just investigating Christianity, very appropriate for you to just pass it on because you're still questioning whether you want to make Jesus Christ the center of your life. But for all of us who have, let us prepare for the great feast in mere bread and mere juice. God helps us to touch him more closely.